Welcome to Heartland Church. It is our prayer that as you listen to the following message, you would experience the heart of God for your life. For more information about our ministry and available resources, visit us on the web at heartlandchurchonline.com. Now, let's join this week's service already in progress. Let's get into the word this morning. Last week, we were looking at the Christmas story from the perspective of Joseph. This week, I want to look at the Magi, the, or what is known as the wise men. Some people will, you know, the, the one song, it talks about we three kings. They weren't really kings. Uh, they were king makers. We'll, we'll explain that in a moment. But uh, I want to look at the Magi. Uh, and I was real tempted to go back into last week's message because there were some things that I wanted to, to really recap and, and expand on. But I think we're going to touch on that through this morning. So if you'd turn with me to Matthew chapter 2, Matthew chapter 2, verse 1. And Jesus was born in Bethlehem in Judea during the time of King Herod. And Magi came from the east to Jerusalem and asked, Where is the one who has been born King of the Jews? We saw his star when it rose and have come to worship him. When King Herod heard this, he was disturbed, and all of Jerusalem with him. When he had called together all the people's chief priests and teachers of the law, he asked them where the Messiah was to be born. In Bethlehem and Judea, they replied, for this is what the prophet has written. But you, Bethlehem, in the land of Judah, are by no means the least among the rulers of Judah. For out of you will come a ruler who will shepherd my people Israel. Then Herod called the Magi secretly and found out from them the exact time The star had appeared. He sent them to Bethlehem and said, Go and search carefully for the child. As soon as you find him, report to me, so that I too may go and worship him. After they had heard the king, they went on their way, and the star that they had seen when it rose ahead of them, until it stopped over the place where the child was. It's an amazing thing. This this star, whatever it was, there's debate on that, but it stopped directly over the place. Matter of fact, tradition says that they looked into a well and saw the reflection of the star and they knew it was right above them and that's how they knew it was the place. When they saw the star, they were overjoyed. On coming to the house, they saw the child with his mother Mary and they bowed down and worshipped him. Then they opened their treasures and presented him with gifts of gold, frankincense and myrrh. And having been warned in a dream not to go back to Herod, they returned to their country by another route. And so in this story, we see these foreign wise men. They were, uh, they're, they're known as magi. It's really the root word of magician. They were, they were a, a group of magicians from Persia, the Media Persian Empire, and uh, they were a, an, an ancient sect of wise men that studied the secret arts, be it uh, you know, magic and even occultism. They were, studied the stars. They studied different writings from different religions. And these were men who were pursuing wisdom, and God had prompted their heart to seek for Jesus at his birth. It's an amazing thing, because they had this star show up, and they followed it and came to, the, to Israel, they came to Jerusalem, and they asked, where is this one born king of the Jews? And so here in this story, we see wise people that are seeking after God. And in this story, we have some threads, we have some traces, some hints on how to seek God. How do you find God? Because it's an amazing thing. In that vast, the vast world, these wise men found a newborn baby, the baby Jesus. Why? Because God led them there. 
but they had to understand how to follow the signs. The fact is that all of us need to be seeking after God. The question they ask, where is this one born King of the Jews, is really the cry of every human heart. It's the desire of every one of us, whether we know it or not, whether you know Jesus or maybe you just came here today because your kids were in a, in a, in a program and now you're sitting here listening to some preacher, I'm telling you what your heart hungers for is Jesus. That's what you've been looking for your whole life. And it's the question that we all need to ask and we can get some hints on how to find him from these men. But the fact is, seeking God is not just for those who don't yet know Him. As a matter of fact, we talk about, as believers, we talk about seeking God all the time. And it's kind of an interesting concept. We talk about seeking the one we already found. As a matter of fact, I didn't seek God until He found me. And then when He found me, I've spent the rest of my life, the last 30, what, 34 years, seeking Him because He found me. And once you've found him, once you've encountered him, you'll be ruined for life. There's something about meeting him that makes you want to seek him all the more. But I have run into believers who take issue with that concept of seeking God. I've heard believers say, well, I don't need to seek God. I've already found him. It's not like God's hiding. But the fact is when they say that, they misunderstand one of the primary characteristics of the heart of God. One of the primary components to God's, uh, the way God operates with people is that God hides things. God is very secretive in one sense. I've been thinking a lot about this principle over the last few months. I, I can't tell you exactly why, but it's just struck me how there's two sides to God's primary strategy in dealing in human history. The one side is mystery, the other side is revelation. God always hides things, but he hides them for us. One of God's primary strategies is the mystery. Jesus taught in mysteries. As a matter of fact, so, so often, it says that his disciples asked him, Jesus, why do you preach in parables? And he told them, the reason I preach in this way is so that when I teach, they won't understand. Isn't that a strange thing? The greatest teacher that ever lived taught in a manner, and he said, I do it intentionally so people won't understand. He taught in mysteries. But then we have this thing in the New Testament, a spirit of wisdom and revelation. And what God does is he rolls out his purposes, his plans in human history in the form of a mystery, and then he looks for those who are hungry enough to seek him, and he pulls them in on the mystery, and he reveals it to them through revelation. And revelation is actually the primary way in which God pushes his purposes forward. And if you want to be part of God's plan, if you want to be part of God's purposes in an intentional way, because you're going to be part of God's plan. (laughs) But if you want to be intentionally in on the inside of this thing, then you need to cry out for revelation. There needs to be a hunger in your heart to understand the mysteries of God. I, I met a wonderful gal yesterday. Sue, raise your hand. Just so wave at everybody. This is Sue. And uh, Sue's a precious Korean sister. And uh, she's going to be accompanying us. We're going to go do a, a uh, Father Loves You conference in South Korea for North Korean refugees is what it's really going to be. And, uh, and Sue's going to be our translator. And I'm just thrilled. Because I'll tell you what, a translator is a big deal. 
Uh, you can have a good one or you can have a not so good one. And I've preached with both. And, uh, and they tell me I'm hard to translate for, Sue, so I'll be praying for you. But uh, it, I, just, I just fell in love with her yesterday. She's just a little Holy Ghost gal. And, and uh, she's, she's translated for a few people like Heidi Baker and Bill Johnson and some of them. So I figure she can handle me. And, uh, but anyway, in the course of the conversation, I, would, I just asked her about her story. And she has a, a phenomenal story. And I hope, we, hope you get a chance to just talk with Sue and get to know her a little better. She's got a, a tremendous story of her journey in finding God and God finding her. But one of the things she said is she said, my, one of, she really was saying that one of her primary life verses is Proverbs 25 too, That it's the glory of God to conceal a matter but it's the glory of a king to search a matter out. I want you to think about that. It's the glory of God to conceal a matter. But it's the glory of a king to search the matter out. And in that statement, the Lord is letting us in on one of the primary characteristics that rule his heart, that, that, uh, that one of the primary principles he navigates by, he, he executes his plans by, that God is into concealing matters. And it's his glory. When we talk about the glory of God, we're talking about the essence of who he is. The essence of God's character. The summation of who he is is one of the primary elements of the essence of who he is is God's into concealing matters. I want you to think about that. That will really help you if you can grab hold of that principle. Because it will begin to make sense of much of your journey with God. Because there's a lot of frustrated people that are wondering about the matters in their life and they don't understand that it's the glory of God to conceal a matter. So they do one of two things. They either surrender to the fact, well, I guess I just don't need to know and if God wanted me to know, he'll let me know. And, they don't. and what happens is they, they succumb to satisfaction and a, and a sense of contentedness in things they shouldn't be content with. God wants to stir up a frustration in your heart that provokes hunger that causes you to press in and unlock the mysteries of God. Because God's glory is to conceal a matter, but your glory is to search the matter out. It's the glory of kings, and you were born to be royalty. And one of the expressions of our royalty as human beings is a hunger to understand what God is doing. When we talk about the glory of God, we're talking about the essence of his nature, the essence of who he is. That's why when we, we fall short of the glory of God, we've fallen short of the standard of his character, the summation of who he is. But when we talk about the glory of man, there's a little different meaning to that. The, the great revivalist and philosopher Jonathan Edwards, he was, born, he was alive in the 1700s and really was the father of the first great awakening in the United States, before it was the United States. It was the colonies at the time. He had this saying that grace is glory begun, glory is grace consummated. In other words, glory is us becoming all that we were called to be. It's us coming into maturity and fullness and becoming all that we were called to be. So God's glory is an expression of the essence of who he is, the summation of who he is, and your glory is you stepping into that. We go from glory 
to glory. We're growing in grace. What starts, what is started in grace is culminated in glory. And God is bringing many sons to glory. And the manifestation of your maturity, one of the primary expressions that you are becoming who God called you to be, is a hunger to understand God. That you are not content just to go through life thinking, well, it's, it's not a walk of faith for you just to walk through life, not understand, and say, I trust him, but not have a hunger to understand what's going on. Don't, don't say that's faith, that is apathy. Faith says, God, I trust you, but I want in on this thing, because this is relationship. And, and I want to step into who I am, and you want me in on this thing, and I need to understand what you're doing. That's a big part of hunger. When we talk about hunger, spiritual hunger, you can really call it curiosity. That's a big part of spiritual hunger. And here these wise men, they were pagans, but they were hungry, and they were reading signs in the heavens above, which were going to lead them to an encounter with the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords. They were going to have an encounter with God in the flesh. One of the first people to have one. And here's the disturbing thing. The very people who were supposed to understand the signs didn't. The people of God, Jesus was being born right in their midst. They were the Jewish people, God's chosen people. They had the law, they had the prophets, they had the scrolls. They were God's people, and yet they were oblivious to what God was doing right around them. And people who were on the outside looking in, because of their hunger, got in on the inside more than the insiders. So here the lesson to you and I is this. God can be moving in power all around us, and we can miss it. Because we're so content with what we have, we fail to realize there's more. The Jewish people were the people of God, and so they thought, seek God, we already have God. Why would I seek God? And their, their satisfaction with what they already had produced a complacency that missed the signs in the heavens above. It's a disturbing thing. That God was releasing signs in the heavens. And they didn't realize it. So, we can learn from these wise men. Now, a little background on these wise men. The Magi, some people believe that Balaam, the the prophet way back, you know, the, the, the prophet in the Old Testament, was the founder of the Magi. They believe he was the first among men. And there's, there's a lot of scholars to believe that. There's kind of a debate. Uh, but we do know that Daniel was once the leader of the Magi. As he served in the, the, the Babylonian Empire, the Persian Empire, Daniel was one of these Magi, these wise men. And again, they were, they were very esteemed throughout history in these various kingdoms. And it came to be the place where they were the king makers. Matter of fact, at the time when Jesus was born, nobody could ascend the throne of the Medio Persian Empire were they not coronated by the Magi. It was the Magi had to sign off on them. They'd say, This guy is fit to be the king. And without their blessing, you couldn't ascend to the throne. So when it says that they show up in town and say to Herod, who is was told by Caesar, he's the king of the Jews, and they said, Where is this one born king of the Jews? He's got to be thinking, hey, you're looking at him. And they're saying, no, we've seen a star. There's a sign in the heavens. 
And these, these men were really into dreams. They were one of their expertise. That's why Daniel what took his place among the Magi. Daniel, remember when, when the king brought all his wise men in to interpret his dream, and Daniel came in with the interpretation. They were really into dreams. So when they're warned of a dream later not to go back to Herod, they were used to that stuff. That was part of their grid work. Oh, we have a dream. We're not going back to Herod. When they show up and they say to Herod, where's the king of the Jews? Herod's really troubled. Add to that the fact that Herod had already fought a battle for the very territory he was ruling for Caesar with the Persian Empire and lost at one time. That this this was a border country that was kind of the buffer country between these two powerful kingdoms and it would be traded back and forth. And now the king makers, the, the, the coronation committee of the other kingdom comes into his territory and says, where's the king of the Jews? You can understand why it was troubling to Herod. And Herod was kind of a control freak. Herod was not, uh, he was a little insecure about his own rulership and his own position. Matter of fact, there was a saying in the days of Herod, you're better off being Herod's pig than his son because you'll live longer. At least he'll fatten his pig for slaughter. He'll kill his sons because he's going to protect his throne. And so he had killed a number of his own family members to connect or to protect his own throne. So this is an interesting happening here when you see these, these people show up, how did they find the Son of God as a baby in the, in the whole wide world, everywhere they could have looked, how did they find it? Well, we know they followed this star. Now, we don't know if this was a physical star. Could have been. If it was, it was probably a, a supernova that they didn't see it before because they were, they were used to studying the stars. And so this star would have had to appear. So if it was a physical star, then it was probably a supernova that was burning itself out so it burned bright. Before they couldn't see it, suddenly they could see it. But somehow this thing was pinpointing and moving. Now, in the book of Revelation... John the Revelator does talk about angels as stars. I tend to think maybe it was an angel. Wouldn't arm wrestle you about it, but I think maybe it was an angel. And he was leading them. But suffice it to say, they were were following the signs. What caused them to follow the signs? The fact is, there can be signs all around us, but if we're not hungry, we're oblivious to it. Other people saw the star. But because they weren't hungry, and one other reason, there was, there was another nis- missing component, because the peop- some weren't hungry, and because they didn't understand the scriptures, they missed the sign. And the very people to whom the scriptures were given didn't tie the sign to the word. So God will release signs in your life. God's always moving. But a lot of times the signs are so obscure, can be easily explained away. And if you're not hungry, you can miss the signs right in your midst and other people can jump in on what was given to you. And that needs to provoke us. If the Jewish people, God's chosen people, could miss the birth of Jesus and some pagan magicians could find it, then that ought to wake us up and make us hungry and say, God, I don't want to miss out. Lord, if you're moving anywhere in my vicinity, I want to know. So they understood the signs, and God is in the signs. I was thinking this morning about there's various signs. We don't have time to get into it, but various signs of Jesus' birth. When he talked to the Magi, he said, this, he, said uh, he, he gave them this sign in the heavens, this star. It was a sign. 
But when he talked to the shepherds, he said, this will be a sign to you. You'll find a baby wrapped in swaddling clothes lying in a manger. It's interesting. The ones that studied the heavens, he said, I'm going to put a sign in the heavens. The ones that worked with livestock, he said, I'm going to put a sign in a manger, in a feed trough. He talks to us in the environment we're in, but sometimes it's so natural we can miss what God is saying. Here's the thing. They not only understood the sign. Man, I'm I'm into signs and wonders. I've had God speak to me in the craziest ways. But you've always got to be able to tie those signs back into the word. And these magi were men who had the scrolls. You know it was Balaam, the, the, the very man that some people think was the original magi. It was Balaam who gave a prophecy that there would be a star that would show up in the heavens when, the, when the, uh, the Son of God was born. Let me read it to you here. It's in Numbers 24, 17. Balaam, he's, Balak had hired him to curse the Jewish people. And every time he got up to curse them, he just kept blessing them. And it was making the king man, matter and matter. He said, just go home. I, I don't need you here. You're, you're working against me. And after he'd been told to go home, he looks out and he begins to prophesy again. He said, I see him, but not now. He's prophetically, he's seeing into the future. I see him, but not now. I behold him, but not near. A star shall come forth from Jacob. A scepter shall rise from Israel and shall crush through the forehead of Moab and tear down all the sons of Sheth. Numbers 24, 17. So here are these, these pagan men who had some relationship with this Man, this, this man of old, this Balaam, had his writings and they took this writing seriously when the Jewish people to whom it was given didn't take it seriously. And so they were reading of this star that's going to rise when there would be a scepter rise in Israel. There was another passage, Deut- or Daniel, in uh, Daniel 9, 24 and 25. Daniel had this word of the 70 weeks. And it was given during the reign of Darius the Mede. There was a great prophecy which revealed the Messiah would come as the prince of Israel 483 years after the Persian emperor gave the commandment to the Jews to rebuild Jerusalem. And it would have been easy for them to do the math. They knew the timing. And then during the timing, they looked for the star. And if it was an angel, that, ain't, that star is moving. And they're men of the word and of the signs. And because of that, they were able to find Jesus. And the very people to whom the word and the signs were given missed him. Because it's the glory of God to conceal a matter. I'm telling you that it is the essence of the nature of who God is. That how he navigates affairs with men is God conceals matters. 1 Corinthians chapter 2, it says, Had the prince of this dark age known, he would not have crucified the Lord of glory. The passage is talking about what Paul refers to as the secret wisdom of God. What Paul calls the secret wisdom, Jesus refers to in Matthew 13 as the mysteries of the kingdom. God operates through mysteries and revelation. But that revelation is only given to those who are hungry enough to search it out. We've talked about this before. 
But we need to catch this. This this thing of 1 Corinthians chapter 2, God rolling out his plan through a mystery is not isolated to the crucifixion. That is normal operating procedures of heaven. God is always rolling things out in a mysterious way. And it's the glory of us. It's our royal inheritance to press in and say, God, I want to understand what you're doing. God doesn't want to leave you in the dark. He doesn't hide them from you. He hides them for you. But he only gives it to the ones who are hungry enough to ask questions and press in and search and seek. And you will seek me and you will find me when you seek for me with your whole heart. And here's these pagan magicians who took God up on it and they found Jesus in the flesh, the Son of God himself, and they bowed down and they worshipped him. It's an amazing story. And again, it juxtaposes the people who should have missed it and found him over against the people who should have found him but missed it. And you and I can fall into that same scenario and it's happened again and again and again all down through history. And the reason it happens is the very people who have already found him think they have all of him. The very people who have found him are content to just live in the mystery and not press in for more. But those that are hungry and will say, God, give me a spirit of wisdom and revelation. I want to understand your ways. It's that that beautiful phrase that David prayed and Moses prayed. Show me your ways, O God. It says he showed his works to Israel. Israel stood and they saw God do miraculous things. But they didn't understand the why. They didn't understand what was going on behind the scenes. They just observed the results. But then there was Moses. It says, to Moses he showed his ways. God wants to reveal his ways to us, but he only reveals it to the hungry heart. Matthew 13, where Jesus said, the whole reason I teach in parables is so that hearing they will not hear and and listening they will not understand. He said, I intentionally teach in such a way to conceal my intent. And the disciples are saying to him in that passage, Matthew 13, Luke chapter 4, I think, and Mark chapter 8. It's all the same. And if you put them all together, you get the full story. And and the disciples are saying, but Jesus, what does this mean? What what does your teaching mean? And he looks at them and smiles and says, okay, I think he smiled. It doesn't say it in the Word, okay? That's the Dave Olson version. He smiles and he said, to you, the knowledge of the secrets of the kingdom have been given. Now understand, the same ones that just said, Jesus, we have no clue what you're talking about. What, what, do you, what does this mean? And it was to them, he said, the knowledge of the secrets of the kingdom have been given to you. What was he saying? He was saying, because you stuck around and pressed in and asked me what it meant, I'm about to release the mysteries of the kingdom to you. I conceal, but to those who are hungry, I reveal. But if you're content not to know and you're willing to walk out the door still scratching your head, then you got what you got. God is looking for hungry people. And I'm telling you, God wants you to step into your glory. He wants you to begin to step in and grow into who you're really called to be. You are called to be a wise man or woman. 
You are called to be schooled by the Spirit of God so that you understand what God's doing in your hour of human history. You understand what God's doing in your life because you've pressed in and asked Him. And when, we, when we're like that, God will, will begin to understand the signs that God releases into our life. But signs without words, without the word, signs without the scripture, signs disconnected from the scripture can either A, lead you astray, or B, they can be easily missed. The Israelites were not hungry enough to mine out those two verses I just read to you. One gave the timing, the other gave the sign. And they put them together, and these wise men were able to find one little baby in the vast expanse of the world. So we've got to be, we've got to, we've got to ask God for signs. God moves miraculously, but we've got to tie it into the word. There were two other things that they, these wise men did. Number one, they went to Herod. They went to the person in authority. When they went into his realm, they didn't just skip Herod and sidestep him. They went before the throne and said, where is this one that was born king of the Jews? They honored authority. I'm going to tell you, authority will get you where you need to go. It's what I was talking about last week. And I don't know why I feel impressed of the Lord to just keep pushing this thing over the last six months, keep coming back around. But some of us must need to understand, you, God will put authority figures in your life and they will be the key to get you where you need to go. We talked last week, every Mary needs a Joseph. It's very explicit in the book of Matthew. It says, this was the manner in the which Jesus was born. And then it says, Joseph. Luke says, Luke emphasizes her conception. She was conceived, she, she conceived the Lord in a private encounter with the Holy Spirit. But the birth, the public birth, demanded hooking up with a Joseph, with a man of God, with an authority figure. That doesn't mean that it's only men. It just means that there's somebody in a a position of authority. And here's the thing. Joseph's history was connected to Mary's destiny. The angel said, Son of David... That was part of his ancient lineage. He was a son of David. And then the edict came down from Rome that he had to go to his hometown, to the town where his family was from, David's family, Bethlehem. So Joseph, being a son of David, went and he took Mary with him because he was betrothed to her. They went to the city and she then when they got there, she gave birth to what she carried. And here's the catch. The reason she ended up where she needed to be to fulfill the prophetic word over what she carried was because she hooked up with a Joseph. And if she wouldn't have hooked up with a Joseph, she'd have missed that fulfillment of that word, which was pretty crucial for you and I. Because that would have negated Jesus' messianic ministry. The words that have been spoken over what you carry are connected to the history of the leaders God puts in your life. There are things that leaders carry that you need to get where you need to go. Now, Joseph was a good man. He was going to divorce her quietly, Scripture said. He was a good man. Herod, not so much. Herod had ulterior motives. Herod wanted to know where this baby was so Herod could kill him. But the fact is, God still used this man in authority 
to get them where they needed to go. They had the word of God. They had the sign. And so then they came to an authority figure and they said, where is this one? And so what did he do? He pulled in some teachers. So you had this person who occupied a position of authority, and then he pulled in some teachers, and the teachers pulled out some other scripture. They said, oh, the baby will be born in Bethlehem. And they would have never understood that had they not gone to the authority and, and, and positioned themselves in front of these teachers. I'm telling you, the gifts of God, leadership gifts, are essential for all of us. And we need to position ourselves there. And we need to understand the authority figures God puts in our life. And here's the catch. Even if they're a Herod, this guy was one wicked dude. He was a mess, killing his own kids. He's, he's getting ready to kill the Messiah. But he, God still used him to get them where they needed to go. And then he warned them in a dream, don't go back and tell them. But they still needed this this authority figure. I have found in my life that some of the greatest works God has done in my life are through the Yahoo leaders like Herod and not so much like the good ones like Joseph. I mean, there were some things that I got from some guys being under their authority. I I got some stories. Oh, my goodness. (laughs) I mean, there were, there were some people that I was under, and when I first met them, I, man, I felt they walked on water because God was using them. But the more I got to know them, the more I was concerned. And then after I was out from underneath them and put a few years between us, I was really concerned. But I cannot deny that God used them mightily in my life. There was a pastor... His, his M.O. was just fear and intimidation. He would scream and yell. He had, he had these four secretaries out in this big secretarial pool. And he would call you into his office. And he would just yell and scream and tell you what an idiot you are. And when you'd walk out, all the secretaries would be looking down. They didn't want to look at you, so they're so embarrassed for you. That's just how he ran things. And there was broken bodies in the wake of his leadership. 20 years after I was out from under his leadership, probably 25 years, he finally got removed from leadership because of a culmination of all that stuff in his life. But before that time, there were many leaders who were raised up underneath his ministry. And I have found that God is very practical. The sovereign God, while he's working the character qualities, the character issues out of my authority figures, Well, he's working on them, he'll use them on me. (laughs) And the danger is, is that we reject guys like Herod and the guy that I was just thinking of, that we'll rename nameless, he went to be with the Lord now. But uh, this, this gentleman, there were a lot of people who walked out of that ministry mad and just washed their hands of it. And they missed vital lessons. They rejected the man's position because of his character. Your honor of an authority figure should not be contingent upon their character. It's based on their position. And when we understand that, God can use them and their character flaws to do some things in our life and pass some tests that then we can move on. But if we don't, you know what God will do? Just take another lap around Mount Sinai. He'll just raise up another Yehu to put you under. You know? So if we can learn this stuff from them, 
your honor of authority is, should not be based on their character. Matter of fact, your honor is a revelation of your character. Can you honor the position? So God will put, we, we, God will use signs in your life. Signs are, <laughs> signs port, point to something. Signs are used to lead us and to guide us and to confirm. And, and they're, I've had the craziest signs. I, I remember years ago, we were going through a hard time. And I went to get my tires changed. And someone, someone came and sat down with me. And they, they said, hey, my wife had a, had a dream about your, your lug nuts on your tire being loose. Before we leave the garage, we need to check those lug nuts. So they drove my van up, threw me the keys, and I got to go in. They said, let's just check, check the tires. So I went out and I checked the, t- the two front tires they were fine, went to the driver's side rear, and one of the lug nuts just fell off of my hand. The other ones were loose. My hair stood up. The guy started laughing, called his wife, and didn't say anything. He just, just said her name and started laughing. And he, she said, driver's side rear, wasn't it? So I'm thinking, thank you, Jesus. Man, I'm just feeling loved by Jesus, man. I, I got a big van. Can you imagine a tire flying off on that thing down the interstate? It would have been a wild ride. So I'm just thanking Jesus. The next day we come in, into staff meeting and I start sharing that with, with the staff. And uh, the Lord spoke to me very clearly. I won't go into all of it, but he told me, he said, that is a prophetic sign. Because he, t- he, he talked to me about the church and we were going through a hard time. And he told me, uh, that, that he's, he's going to hold on to this thing. And he told me those two, two circumstances were connected. And this is what he said to me. He said, I wanted you to know that I've got my eyes on this thing and I'm not going to let the wheels come off. He's talking about the church. That was a sign. I love that stuff. That's awesome. But I needed the word too. And God was speaking to me out of his word. We need signs. We need the word. We need authority. And we need to avail ourselves to teachers who know that word better than we do. And there's always people who know things in the word we don't. You know, people will tell me, Pastor, man, you know the word. Yeah, because I preach from the parts I know. You know, there's parts of the word I'm not really, really familiar with. But there are other people in my life who are. And so I go to them and I ask them about those things. We need one another. We need We need to open our eyes to the signs around us. What is God doing? You need to be in the word because God will speak to you through the word to give you signs, to help you know where you need to get to go. And then you have your own encounter with him. And some of us are missing encounters because we're thinking, well, if God wants me to have an encounter, he'll he'll just chase me down. And the Jewish people, there were people who lived across the street from where the Son of God had just entered human history and missed it. And then there's pagan Persians who take all this time to trek in so they could bow down and worship him. Which are you? Are you hungry? Or are you satisfied with what you have? Do you bristle when people talk about seeking God? I'm telling you, seeking God is a lifestyle. It's not an event. I got saved, radically saved in 1983. And I've been seeking him ever since. And I'm still finding him. And he still surprises me. And there's times I'll read in the Word, that can't be true. And if it, that, that needs to strike you that way. You need to be reading the Word and have it confront your belief systems. And so God's adjusting us, and I'm still being amazed by who he is, and surprised and adjusted and tweaked. And I'm still finding him. 
God wants to make you a wise person. And he wants you to have your own encounter. Don't be like the Jewish people of that day who had a fresh expression of the kingdom birthed right in their midst and they were oblivious to it because they weren't in the word and they missed the signs. You've been listening to a presentation from Heartland Church in Ankeny, Iowa. For more information about our ministry and its available resources, visit us on the web at heartlandchurchonline.com. Thanks for listening.